Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the FT Advisor podcast. My name is Ema Jackson-Obot and I'm the Deputy Features Editor. Today we're going to be talking about sustainable investing with a value bias. Global markets had a tough year in 2022 with both equities and bonds falling in tandem. With inflation soaring and huge economic uncertainty still around, it has been a worrying time for investors. And while over the past decade or so, the value style of investing fell out of favour as investors chased more growth stocks, since the pandemic ended and the world opened up, interest rates have been continuously raised by central banks to curb inflation exacerbated by the war in Ukraine. This has helped growth stocks and is causing the tide to grow and growth style investments with value seemingly back in fashion again. And with the added evolution in the ESG approach to investing, what bearing does this also have on value investing? Here to talk about all of this are Roberta Barr, Head of ESG Value and the Fund Manager at Schroders, and Stuart Clark, Portfolio Manager at Quilter Investors. Hello to you both. Hi, Emma. Hi, Roberta. Hi, Stuart. Thank you for uh, joining me today. Uh, perhaps we'll start with you, um, Roberta, and we'll ask a broader question. Is value investing back in fashion? And if so, why now? Yeah, well, it's a great question. And sort of as you were alluding to in your intro, as we come out of 2022, which was a certainly a, a turbulent time for markets to come into 2023, I think, you know, the one thing that I'm most sure about coming into this year is just how wide the range of possible outcomes that there are. You know, as you say, what's going to happen with Russia-Ukraine going forward? What's going to happen with interest rates, with inflation and so on? There are some really big known unknowns out there, let alone unknown unknowns, which, if anything, the last few years have really highlighted to us as, you know, a big, can be uh, much more than we expect. And I think all this sort of market volatility is really reminding investors just how important diversification is. Because, I mean, there are plenty of examples out there of you know, why trying to time the market is such a dangerous game to play and actually having a good amount of exposure, yes, to growth, but to value as well, is so important. But actually, sort of as a value investor, I guess that the whole macro picture isn't necessarily my forte. And, you know, what's much more important to me is in absolute terms, what do the sort of valuations look like in the companies that I hold in the portfolio and that I'm looking to buy? And I must say that it's certainly as an exciting time as ever when it comes to the sort of valuation screens and some of the multiples that stocks are trading on and the valuations that we're being able to buy companies at are at levels which, at least historically, bode very well for for um, performance over the, the next few years. But actually, just to add one other point as well, you mentioned sustainability, and I think we all know that sustainability is important when times are good, but sustainability is critical when times get tough, like they have been at the moment. You know, if you just think about something like a supermarket who's got such a delicate balance to play when it comes to, it's got this cost of living crisis, it's got you know, a large number of lower income employees that it has to pay a sort of fair and living wage to. But it's also got this responsibility to keep you know, food and nutrition affordable to the public. There's a supply chain squeeze going on in the background, plus the whole global obesity epidemic, which is still ongoing and getting worse. And we hold supermarkets accountable when it comes to driving customer behavior towards healthier choices and you know, reformulating products away from high fat, salt and sugar. And even just things as well, like um, net zero targets, which companies have mostly now set, which is really great and a great first step. But now it's when the, the hard work starts and normally ch- climate change isn't going to wait for a better economic, cli- um, economic climate. 
we need to start acting now when it comes to you know getting operations and laying the groundwork in companies to make sure that they do meet those interim targets for net zero so I think you know value yes might be back in fashion now but sustainability more than ever also needs to be front and center and actually holding a portfolio of stocks which you trust to be ESG leaders and you trust to act you know responsibly and sustainably is so critical in times like these. Thanks for that, um, Roberta. That's quite interesting on the sustainable um, angle. Um, before I ask you about the sustainability angle there, um, Stuart, can I ask you as well, I mean, just first of all, why do you think people perhaps are moving away from growth sectors, moving more towards value and what the importance of, say, sustainability is as well? I think uh, Roberta obviously makes some fantastic points. I, I'm not sure that value is really uh, in fashion so much at the moment uh, per se mm. as it's not as despised as it has been historically mm. um, or in recent times. Um, mm. If you look at the press coverage it's still been about growth underperforming rather than value outperforming mm. and value uh, in certain parts of the world and obviously individual stocks did make positive returns. There are stocks out there which made positive returns in 2022 mm. um, but if you were to think about the US value market per se then um, that still posted a negative return in dollars um, last year. So uh, there are a lot of reasons why I think today uh, investors should be considering value uh, mm. and, and also as part of that sort of subset, sustainable value uh, as, as a, a, an investment uh, opportunity uh, does make a lot of sense because of some thematic tailwinds as well. Um, but uh, one element I think which is... Uh, potentially being overlooked is uh, the fact that yes value has done well but within that on a relative basis but as we enter into 2023 and look at the economic outlook across different parts of the world different economies uh, that it could still be quite a tough environment and in that environment the the um, cheaper parts of the market alongside the more defensive parts of the cheaper parts of the market uh, could be an interesting opportunity to uh, protect uh, some capital uh, in this current environment whilst as you mentioned I think in your introduction uh, central banks continue to raise rates fighting inflationary pressures even if they may have peaked, uh, they'll continue to tighten uh, to try and ensure that they get that uh, the inflation genie back in the bottle, so to speak. Uh, then that environment growth uh, as a style could continue to suffer through through this year. And that, I think, is one of the main reasons why investors should be looking at the value space uh, today. On the sustainability side of things, I think that's interesting because also last year, it almost feels like that fell out of fashion as as well. Uh, there was a very strong run-up in ESG-style investing, or or whatever we want to call it, uh, in in late uh, 21 and and through 22, obviously with um, energy uh, doing particularly well, uh, with other parts of the market, um, defence, uh, another clear example, which might have been. Uh, less exposed to some uh, ESG portfolios, uh, leading uh, returns then that has led to some some of the uh, preferential flow that went into SG funds in 2020 and 2021 
of reversing. And actually, again, when you overlay those two elements of sustainability, long-term thematic tailwinds, in our opinion, um, as governments try to address uh, climate change and societal uh, imbalances uh, with the cheaper part of the market, then that can be uh, potentially a very interesting uh, investment opportunity today. So that's quite interesting. So that seems like, you know, does that mean that maybe the way people used to think of sustainability and value has will, ch- will change or is changing? Because I mean, traditionally speaking, it's been done via growth stocks. So can a manager follow a value style and still be ASG? I'll, ask, uh, I'll put that to you, Stuart, since you were sort of talking about how things have really evolved. It's certainly we believe it's possible to uh, have both a sustainable focus and uh, a focus on valuation uh, and value style uh, as well. Um, It might be a combination of some hard exclusions on the dirtiest um, sectors or dirtiest companies. And, you know, common in that area would be things like uh, thermal coal or oil sands, um, uh, the tobacco companies, um, which might form a a stalwart of some older value uh, investment funds. But for the sustainability criteria, they tend to get excluded. But then it can also be through the the proactive engagement and the ability for value investors to use their investment in companies to try and uh, facilitate the change that is required, whether that's on decarbonisation or, again, uh, through management change to try and improve uh, health and safety factors at work or the makeup of company boards and and the general uh, pay inequality, uh, the opportunity set. And another area which we look at within the value space is also trying to identify some of those, uh, the the names which can address uh, specific issues around the world. So it's not just um, thinking about oil companies and which are have a better science-based target initiative or, or they might have a, a well oiled, uh, pardon the pun, investor relations team that do a great job of selling their story to uh, the the investment community. But it's looking at those uh, smaller companies who can provide the solutions to aid with the decarbonisation of traditional energy or industrial uh, companies around the world, which uh, maybe have the scope one and two emissions rather than scope three emissions that we see in the traditional energy space. Okay. Um, I mean, Roberta, what, what about um, SIN stocks? I mean, as I've already said, um, sustainability investment is typically done by growth stocks. Um, can a manager follow value style and still be ESG? And, and what about SIN stocks or SIN set sectors? Yeah, well, um, I mean, firstly, I run a sustainable value fund. So obviously, I very firmly believe that you can combine sustainability and value. But you're totally right that SIN sectors is a sort of uh, uh, sort of area of controversy, I guess, because I mean, some of the sin sectors out there are the most attractively sectors out in the market. So, as a sustainable value investor, you get a lot of pushback that, well, if you can't hold some of these really attractively valued sectors, then you're going to miss out on the potential outperformance there and you're going to underperform. And, you know, we're very transparent, very honest. We say that's absolutely right. You know, obviously, if you're going to invest sustainably, you can't hold sin sectors. That does reduce your opportunity set. And so that does reduce your potential to outperform. But I think it's so important not to over-exaggerate that. 
So we looked back 30 years at a sort of proxy, totally unconstrained value portfolio, and it outperformed its benchmark by 5.2% per annum. We then took that exact same proxy value portfolio and we applied a whole host of exclusions. So far harsher than you'd actually see in a sustainable fund, but we took out all of tobacco, all of alcohol, gambling, all of oil and gas, all of utilities. We took out everything that could even be considered close to a sin sector. And that constrained value portfolio on average outperformed by 5.0% per annum. So not the 5.2%, of the totally unconstrained fund, but only 0.2% less. So I think it's I think it's a really important point just to highlight that you know value investing is so much more than just those sin sectors. There are so many other opportunities out there in the market where you can get those attractive valuations without having to compromise on your sustainability criteria. And I mean, I totally agree with Stuart that a real interesting place to begin to look is those smaller companies that are beginning to facilitate and beginning to um, you know, have the innovation behind them to help decarbonize those those bigger businesses. So you can take something like um, Panasonic, which is a great example of a company which I think they, they hold close to 10% of the global clean tech patents that come out. So actually something like Panasonic doing that sort of innovation is, is so important to actually make sure that other companies can begin to reach those net zero targets. Or if you take something like Nikon, for example, you don't think Nikko equals you know, bioscience and trying to trying to you know make new medicines and and do some live cell imaging but obviously Nikon are experts when it comes to precision imaging and they've actually found that they can use their innovation their technology to really advance the sort of um, bioscience fields out there so there's so many examples of just because headline you know blunt blunt headlines it doesn't necessarily fit what you what you'd typically expect in a sustainable fund it doesn't mean that this isn't a company really driving positive societal change so does that mean that you really have to really look under the bonnet do a lot more investigation to really understand those nuances is this where sort of why i suppose that's what has a bearing on the active management side of things then would you would you say yeah definitely and it certainly helps being a sort of fundamental bottom-up investor that you know, my job is to look at in and out of companies and know exactly what they're doing, what they have done, what they say they're going to do. and really sort of understand every single you know, page of the annual reports, the sustainability reports, you name it, I've read it. Um, and I think that puts you in a really good position when it comes to something like active management, because you know the company really well. You also know their peers pretty well. So you know what best practice looks like you know what is easily possible, what's more of a stretch and just what's not worth asking for in the first place, which I think can set you up really nicely to begin those conversations to try and nudge companies towards towards making positive improvements. Thanks for that. Um, Stuart, I mean, what uh, does value investment mean for active management and active engagement as well? I think uh, particularly on active engagement and value, uh, there's there's a very interesting opportunity. And part of that is that, and I don't want to suggest that value investors do less work because they do a lot of fundamental uh, analysis, but they tend to have a longer investment horizon uh, than potentially some of the growth uh, and more aggressive growth investors, definitely. And therefore, they can have more of an impact through that investment. They also are 
very focused on trying to avoid those value traps uh and so where they can see the there are risks obviously in all investments but with uh, value investing you need to make sure that you're comfortable that the company is able to survive whatever uh, process they've been going through to end up being a relatively cheap compared to the rest of the market uh, and typically they will have done a lot of work on what they believe needs to be changed in order to release some of that pent-up value and that gives clear engagement opportunities now if you overlay that with a very robust uh, process around uh, environmental social uh, needs uh, and an understanding of what can help drive change within a business then that proactive engagement by value investing i think can can have a very significant um, impact on the individual companies and obviously one of the ways we're going to have uh, implement change is by going through company by company it's not just divestment there is always a need to have that ultimate um threat i suppose of divesting from from a company if things really aren't improving or, or that you're not seeing the the positive change which you wish to achieve through investing but typically that working alongside management and um trying to highlight to them what factors they believe will unlock the value in the company uh, will will um will come more will be more prevalent i think from from the value side of the investing coin growth managers tend to uh the market might be underappreciating the duration of the growth um they might be underestimating the uh, amount of growth that the company can enjoy uh for a period of time but uh the market does tend to have already acknowledged the fact that it is an out so there's an outsized growth opportunity there in, in the first place I think one other thing, just to elaborate on something Roberta mentioned, which I think we try to bring out with our clients just around the expected return. We're not trying to suggest that sustainable investing necessarily leads to an, another source of alpha um, in the form of excess return expectations compared to uh, a non-sustainable or a lower form of ESG integration. Um, it's some element of it is risk management. But when we speak to clients, we try to express it in the form of the journey which they'll take. Uh, so we don't necessarily see it as a hindrance to your return expectation or a hindrance to your overall volatility profile. What we're saying is that on any given year, the lower ESG threshold fund might outperform, the higher ESG threshold fund or the sustainable fund might outperform. But over a given a sensible long-term investment horizon. This is not something which should act as a constraint necessarily to, to the potential for, for a client's portfolio. But it's understanding, again, as with most things in investing, not to get spooked out in 2022 when um, ESG investing is going through a tougher patch and not to get uh, over-enthusiastic at the end of 2021 when it's gone through a very very good period. Um, so I just wanted to add that if that's okay. Yeah, no, thanks for that. Um, Roberta, can I ask you, what does um, value investment mean for active manage engagement? So I keep saying management, but yeah, engagement. <laughs> well, I think Stuart's made some some excellent points and I, I totally agree with everything that he said around, around uh, combining the two. Certainly the longer time horizon does help because it means that, you know, we've got a good three to five years to build those conversations and sort of take take the necessary steps when it comes to to making making changes that we're asking for. 
I'd say we often we often get asked as value managers about the potential for sort of transition portfolios and holding you know some of the dirtiest companies out there because you know through, theoretically if you were to hold these companies and engage with them then they could an impact there would have a significant overall impact and I, I certainly see the sort of I, I see the idea there I think you know what what we need to be so careful about though is that there's there's this understanding that when we engage with companies you're not wanting to engage to destroy your potential for financial outperformance at the same time. So something like better supply chain auditing or having stronger net zero targets, you know, those will only help to enhance companies who are already ESG leaders. But if you're trying to do something like that with, you know, a pure play or a gas company or a company on the sort of more laggard scale of ESG, I think there's often a sort of question of whether or not that will that will hinder the the company's potential to sort of realize a fair value in the future. And I've got no idea if that's actually true or not. All I know is that I haven't seen enough academic evidence to either support or disprove that yet. Um, So that's a sort of interesting piece, I guess, that we're we're looking into, but sort of being cautious and making sure that that we definitely would do do all the groundwork before sort of launching and something like that. I'm coming to um, the, the last question here. Um, the value versus growth debate. I mean, is it still a clear, is, well? Is it a clear line of one over the other at all? Or is you know, is it more about diversification and better? Well, I'm a value manager, so <laughs> I obviously think it's always going to be value over growth. I think that if you were to look at you know long-term historical performance, the past decade is the only decade going back almost 100 years where you know the rolling five-year average returns uh, monthly returns have been bad bad for value and the only the only decade where value has underperformed growth on that basis Mm. so I think I think personally that it's so important that investors remain patient and they don't you know fall to to behavioral biases like recency bias and start overweighting you know growth's amazing outperformance over the past decade and sort of remember that actually value investing makes sense it does have this academic evidence backing it and when markets do turn they turn so fast and I think that that people timing the market need to be really cautious of that. And Stuart can I get your thoughts on that? Yeah I we run multi-asset multi-manager portfolios but uh I'm not even so much of a closet value investor. I think I'm. Uh, people are aware that I I tend to lean towards a more value investing style uh, within the portfolios. Uh, the I don't think it is a clear line, though, um, so to speak. There's always a need for diversification in the portfolio, and I definitely, as we look forward to 2023, I think there's going to be reasonable gyrations within the market as um, people try to read a lot into central bank uh, comments and actions as to what the terminal rate might be, how willing are they really to push uh, economies potentially into recessions or longer recessions than currently are priced in, uh, in order to try and tame inflation. Uh, How will that interact with government policy? and uh, the other various macro factors out there, not least the ongoing war between Russia and Ukraine. Uh, So I can see certainly, again, within our portfolios, 
there's a preference towards value for a long-term investment opportunity, but we can't afford to avoid growth style investing in its entirety. And I think there will be periods of, uh, I won't call it irrational uh, exuberance, but uh, willingness or in a, uh, the market trying to push up the growth story if they think, well, the Fed's going to have to pause or, or pivot uh, and therefore valuations can uh, start going up again. Uh, growth valuations can start going up again. And I think that's the story of volatility is one which is likely to to become the uh, potentially the main story of, of 2023. So very long-winded answer to say that I think the bias towards value definitely, but with the diversification just to offset it in the periods where the market uh, tries to anchor, as uh, Roberta mentioned, to the recency bias of uh, long-run growth outperformance, albeit in the even longer run, it does, I would agree, look like more of an anomaly rather than the rule. Um, did you want to add anything there as well, Roberta? Yeah, I totally agree with Stuart. <laughs> I think it's going, to, it's going to make for an interesting 2023 then. Um, thank you very much, um, Roberta, and thank you so much, Stuart, um, for joining us today. And thank you uh, for listening. Tune in next week for the next edition of the FT Advisor podcast. Thank you very much. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.